Hello and welcome to the Strange Tales podcast presented by me your host Winston R. Douglas. We are a weekly podcast that looks a weird and wonderful tales from history, true crime, conspiracies and much more. I will try to cover various topics from different eras hopefully we can take a journey through history together. If you are a first time listener please look back on our previous episodes, if you are a returning listener thank you for your continual support. If you enjoy the podcast please smash that gorgeous like button, and subscribe so that you will be notified to future shows. Also if you could write a 5 star review that would really help us get the word out, so other people can enjoy the podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Strange Tales Pod. Or you can message me at strangetalespod at gmail.com with feedback or ideas on future shows. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash strange tales pod. Where we have plans from as little as 3 US dollars a month and you can opt out anytime. Any help is much appreciated. This week we look into Robert Philip Hansen who is an American former FBI double agent who spied for Soviet and Russian intelligence services against the United States from 1976 to 2001. His espionage was described by the Department of Justice as possibly the worst intelligence disaster in US history. Hansen is currently serving 15 consecutive life sentences without parole at ADX Florence, a federal supermax prison near Florence, Colorado. Hansen sold thousands of classified documents to the KGB that detailed U.S. strategies in the event of nuclear war, developments in military weapons technologies, and aspects of the U.S. counterintelligence program. Hansen also revealed a multi-million dollar eavesdropping tunnel built by the FBI under the Soviet embassy. The FBI paid $7 million to a KGB agent to obtain a file on an anonymous mole, whom the FBI later identified as Hansen through fingerprint and voice analysis. Hansen was arrested on February 18, 2001, at Foxton Park near his home in the Washington, D.C. suburb of Vienna, Virginia, after leaving a package of classified materials at a dead drop site. He was charged with selling U.S. intelligence documents to the Soviet Union and subsequently Russia for more than $1.4 million in cash and diamonds over a 22-year period. Okay, let's get into today's strange tale. Robert Hansen was born in Chicago, Illinois, to a Lutheran family, who lived in the Nord Park neighborhood. His father Howard, a Chicago police officer, was emotionally abusive to Hansen during his childhood. He graduated from William Howard Taft High School in 1962 and went on to attend Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, where he earned a bachelor's degree in chemistry in 1966. He applied for a cryptographer position at National Security Agency, but was rebuffed due to budget setbacks. He enrolled in dental school at Northwestern University but switched his focus to business after three years. Hansen received an MBA in Accounting and Information Systems in 1971, and took a job with an accounting firm. 
He quit after one year and joined the Chicago Police Department as an internal affairs investigator, specializing in forensic accounting. In January 1976, he left the police department to join the FBI. Hansen met Bernadette Bonnie Walk, a staunch Roman Catholic, while attending dental school at Northwestern. The couple married in 1968, and Hansen converted from Lutheranism to his wife's Catholicism. Hansen embraced his conversion and went on to join the Catholic organization Opus Dei with like-minded individuals. Upon becoming a special agent on January 12, 1976, Hansen was transferred to the FBI's Gary, Indiana, field office. In 1978, he and his growing family of three children eventually six moved to New York City when the FBI transferred him to its field office there. The next year, Hansen was moved into counterintelligence and given the task of compiling a database of Soviet intelligence for the Bureau. In 1979, Hansen approached the Soviet Main Intelligence Directorate, GRU, and offered his services. He never indicated any political or ideological motive for his actions, telling the FBI after he was caught that his only motivation was financial. During his first espionage cycle, Hansen provided a significant amount of information to the GRU, including details of the FBI's bugging activities and lists of suspected Soviet intelligence agents. His most important leak was the betrayal of Dmitry Polyakov, a CIA informant who passed enormous amounts of information to U.S. intelligence while rising to the rank of general in the Soviet army. For unknown reasons, the Soviets did not act against Polyakov until he was betrayed a second time by CIA mole Aldrich Ames in 1985. Polyakov was arrested in 1986 and executed in 1988. Ames was officially blamed for giving Polyakov's name to the Soviets, while Hansen's attempt was not revealed until after his 2001 capture. CIA and FBI officials, including Deputy Director William Sullivan, believed that, at some point, Polyakov was turned by the Soviets and made into a triple agent who deceived the West with misinformation. In 1981, Hansen was transferred to FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and he moved to the suburb of Vienna, Virginia. His new job in the FBI's budget office gave him access to information involving many different FBI operations. This included all the FBI activities related to wiretapping and electronic surveillance, which were Hansen's responsibility. He became known in the Bureau as an expert on computers. Three years later, Hansen transferred to the FBI's Soviet Analytical Unit, which was responsible for studying, identifying, and capturing Soviet spies and intelligence operatives in the United States. Hansen's section was in charge of evaluating Soviet agents who volunteered to give intelligence to determine whether they were genuine or redoubled agents. In 1985, Hansen was again transferred to the FBI's field office in New York, where he continued to work in counterintelligence against the Soviets. It was after the transfer, while on a business trip back to Washington, that he resumed his career in espionage. October 1, 1985, Hansen sent an anonymous letter to the KGB offering his services and asking for $100,000 in cash equivalent to $240,625 in 2020. 
In the letter, he gave the names of three KGB agents secretly working for the FBI, Boris Yushan, Valery Martinov, and Sergei Motorun. Although Hansen was unaware of it, all three agents had already been exposed earlier that year by Ames. Yushan had returned to Moscow in 1982 and had been put under intensive investigation by the KGB there due to having lost a concealed camera in the Soviet consulate in San Francisco, but he was not arrested until being exposed by Ames and Hansen. Martinov and Motorin were recalled to Moscow, where they were arrested, charged, tried, and convicted of espionage against the USSR. Martinov and Motorin were condemned to death and executed via a gunshot to the back of the head. Yushan was imprisoned for six years before he was released under amnesty to political prisoners, and subsequently emigrated to the US. The FBI blamed Ames for the leak, Hansen was not suspected nor investigated. The October 1st letter was the beginning of a long, active espionage period for Hansen. Hansen was recalled yet again to Washington in 1987. He was given the task of making a study of all known and rumored penetrations of the FBI in order to find the man who had betrayed Martinov and Motorun. This meant that he was looking for himself. Hansen ensured that he not unmask himself with his study, but in addition, he turned over the entire study, including the list of all Soviets who had contacted the Bureau about FBI moles, to the KGB in 1988. That same year, Hansen, according to a government report, committed a serious security breach by revealing secret information to a Soviet defector during a debriefing. The agents working beneath him reported this breach to a supervisor, but no action was taken. In 1989, Hansen compromised the FBI investigation of Felix Bloch, a State Department official who had come under suspicion for espionage. Hansen warned the KGB that Bloch was under investigation, causing the KGB to abruptly break off contact with him. The FBI was unable to produce any hard evidence, and as a result, Bloch was never charged with a crime, although the State Department later terminated his employment, and denied his pension. The failure of the Bloch investigation, and the FBI's investigation of how the KGB found out they were investigating Bloch drove the mole hunt that eventually led to the arrest of Hansen. Later that year, Hansen handed over extensive information about American planning for measurement and signature intelligence, MASINT, an umbrella term for intelligence collected by a wide array of electronic means, such as radar, spy satellites, and signal intercepts. When the Soviets began construction on a new embassy in 1977, the FBI dug a tunnel beneath their decoding room. The Bureau planned to use it for eavesdropping, but never did for fear of being caught. Hansen disclosed this information to the Soviets in September 1989 and received a $55,000 payment the next month, equivalent to $114,828 in 2020. On two occasions, Hansen gave the Soviets a complete list of American double agents. In 1990, Hansen's brother-in-law, Mark Walk, who was also an FBI employee, recommended to the Bureau that Hansen be investigated for espionage because his sister, Hansen's wife, 
told him that her sister, Jeanne Biggles, had found a pile of cash on a dresser in the Hansen's house. Bonnie had previously told her brother that Hansen once talked about retiring in Poland, then part of the Eastern Bloc. Walk also knew that the FBI was hunting for a mole and so spoke with his supervisor, who took no action. When the Soviet Union collapsed in December 1991, Hansen, possibly worried that he could be exposed during the ensuing political upheaval, broke off communications with his handlers for a time. The following year, after the Russian Federation took over the defunct USSR spy agencies, Hansen made a risky approach to the GRU, with whom he had not been in contact in 10 months. He went in person to the Russian embassy and physically approached a GRU officer in the parking garage. Hansen, carrying a package of documents, identified himself by his Soviet code name, Ramon Garcia, and described himself as a disaffected FBI agent who was offering his services as a spy. The Russian officer, who evidently did not recognize the code name, drove off. The Russians then filed an official protest with the State Department, believing Hansen to be a triple agent. Despite having shown his face, disclosed his code name, and revealed his FBI affiliation, Hansen escaped arrest when the Bureau's investigation into the incident did not advance. Hansen continued to take risks in 1993 when he hacked into the computer of a fellow FBI agent, Ray Mislock, printed out a classified document from Mislock's computer, and took the document to Mislock, saying, You didn't believe me that the system was insecure. Hansen's superiors were not amused and launched an investigation. In the end, officials believed his claim that he was merely demonstrating flaws in the FBI's security system. Miss Locke has since theorized that Hansen probably went onto his computer to see if his superiors were investigating him for espionage, and invented the document story to cover his tracks. In 1994, Hansen expressed interest in a transfer to the new National Counterintelligence Center, which coordinated counterintelligence activities. When told that he would have to take a lie detector test to join, Hansen changed his mind. Three years later, convicted FBI mole Earl Edwin Pitts told the Bureau that he suspected Hansen was dirty due to the Mislock incident. Pitts was the second FBI agent to mention Hansen by name as a possible mole, but superiors were still unconvinced and no action was taken. IT personnel from the National Security Division's East Unit were sent to investigate Hansen's desktop computer following a reported failure. NSD Chief Johnny Sullivan ordered the computer impounded after it appeared to have been tampered with. A digital investigation found that an attempted hacking had taken place using a password cracking program installed by Hansen, which caused a security alert and lockup. Following confirmation by the FBI CART unit, Sullivan filed a report with the Office of Professional Responsibility requesting further investigation of Hansen's attempted hack. Hansen claimed that he was attempting to connect a color printer to his computer, but needed the password cracker to bypass the administrative password. The FBI believed his story and Hansen was let off with a warning. During the same time period, Hansen searched the FBI's internal computer case record to see if he was under investigation. 
he was indiscreet enough to type his own name into FBI search engines. Finding nothing, Hansen decided to resume his spy career after eight years without contact with the Russians. He established contact with the SVR, the successor to the Soviet-era KGB, in the fall of 1999. He continued to perform highly incriminating searches of FBI files for his own name and address. Investigation and Arrest The existence of two Russian moles working in the U.S. security and intelligence establishment simultaneously, aims at the CIA and Hansen at the FBI complicated counterintelligence efforts in the 1990s. Ames was arrested in 1994, his exposure explained many of the asset losses U.S. intelligence suffered in the 1980s, including the arrest and execution of Martinov and Motoron. However, two cases, the Block Investigation and the Embassy Tunnel, stood out and remained unsolved. Ames had been stationed in Rome at the time of the Block Investigation, and could not have had knowledge of that case or of the tunnel under the Embassy, as he did not work for the FBI. The FBI and CIA formed a joint mole hunting team in 1994 to find the suspected second intelligence leak. They formed a list of all agents known to have access to cases that were compromised. The FBI's codename for the suspected spy was Greysuit. Some promising suspects were cleared, and the mole hunt found other penetrations, such as CIA officer Harold James Nicholson. However, Hansen escaped notice. By 1998, using FBI criminal profiling techniques, the pursuers zeroed in on an innocent man, Brian Kelly, a CIA operative involved in the block investigation. The CIA and FBI searched his house, tapped his phone and put him under surveillance, following him and his family everywhere. In November 1998, they had a man with a foreign accent come to Kelly's door, warn him that the FBI knew he was a spy and tell him to show up at a metro station the next day in order to escape. Kelly instead reported the incident to the FBI. In 1999, the FBI even interrogated Kelly, his ex-wife, two sisters and three children. All denied everything. He was eventually placed on administrative leave, where he remained falsely accused until after Hansen was arrested. FBI investigators later made progress during an operation in which they paid off disaffected Russian intelligence officers to deliver information on moles. They paid $7 million to KGB agent Alexander Sherbakov who had access to a file on B. While it did not contain Hansen's name, among the information was an audio tape of a July 21, 1986, conversation between B and KGB agent Alexander Fefalov. FBI agent Michael Wagisback felt the voice was familiar, but could not remember who it was. Rifling through the rest of the files, they found notes of the mole using a quote from General George S. Patton about the purple pissing Japanese. FBI analyst Bob King remembered Hansen using that same quote. Wagisback listened to the tape again and recognized the voice as belonging to Hansen. With the mole finally identified, locations, Dates and cases were matched with Hansen's activities during the time period. Two fingerprints collected from a trash bag in the file were analyzed and proved to be Hansen's. 
The FBI placed Hansen under surveillance and soon discovered that he was again in contact with the Russians. In order to bring him back to FBI headquarters, where he could be closely monitored and kept away from sensitive data, they promoted him in December 2000 and gave him a new job supervising FBI computer security. In January 2001, Hansen was given an office and an assistant, Eric O'Neill, who, in reality, was a young FBI surveillance specialist who had been assigned to watch Hansen. O'Neill ascertained that Hansen was using a Palm 3 PDA to store his information. When O'Neill was able to briefly obtain Hansen's PDA, and have agents download and decode its encrypted contents, the FBI had its smoking gun. During his final days with the FBI, Hansen began to suspect that something was wrong. In early February 2001 he asked his friend at a computer technology company for a job. He also believed he was hearing noises on his car radio that indicated that it was bugged, although the FBI was later unable to reproduce the noises Hansen claimed to have heard. In the last letter he wrote to the Russians, which was picked up by the FBI when he was arrested, Hansen said that he had been promoted to a do-nothing job, outside of regular access to information, and that, something has aroused the sleeping tiger. However, Hansen's suspicions did not stop him from making one more dead drop. After dropping his friend off at the airport on February 18, 2001, Hansen drove to Virginia's Foxton Park. He placed a white piece of tape on a park sign, which was a signal to his Russian contacts that there was information at the dead drop site. He then followed his usual routine, taking a package consisting of a sealed garbage bag of classified material, and taping it to the bottom side of a wooden footbridge over a creek. When FBI agents spotted this highly incriminating act, they rushed in to catch Hansen red-handed and arrest him. Upon being arrested, Hansen asked, what took you so long? The FBI waited two more days to see if any of Hansen's SVR handlers would show up at Foxton Park. When they failed to appear, the Justice Department announced the arrest on February 20th. With the representation of Washington lawyer Plato Kasharis, Hansen negotiated a plea bargain that enabled him to escape the death penalty in exchange for cooperating with authorities. On July 6, 2001, he pleaded guilty to 15 counts of espionage and one of conspiracy to commit espionage in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia. On May 10, 2002, Hansen was sentenced to 15 consecutive sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole. I apologize for my behavior. I am shamed by it, Hansen told U.S. District Judge Claude Hilton. I have opened the door for calumny against my totally innocent wife and children. I have hurt so many deeply. Hansen never told the KGB or GIU, his identity and refused to meet them personally, with the exception of the abortive 1993 contact in the Russian embassy parking garage. The FBI believes that the Russians never knew the name of their source. Going by the alias Ramon or Ramon Garcia, Hansen exchanged intelligence and payments through an old-fashioned dead-drop system in which he and his KGB handlers left packages in public, unobtrusive places.
He refused to use the dead drop sites that his handler, Victor Cherkashin, suggested and instead picked his own. He also designated a code to be used when dates were exchanged. Six was to be added to the month, day, and time of a designated drop time, so that, for example, a drop scheduled for January 6th at 1pm would be written as July 12th at 7pm. Despite these efforts at caution and security, Hansen could at times be reckless. He once said in a letter to the KGB that it should emulate the management style of Mayor of Chicago Richard J. Daly, a comment that easily could have led an investigator to look at people from Chicago. Hansen took the risk of recommending to his handlers that they try to recruit his closest friend, a colonel in the United States Army. According to USA Today, those who knew the Hansens described them as a close family. They attended mass weekly and were very active in Opus Dei. Hansen's three sons attended the Heights School in Potomac, Maryland, an all-boys preparatory school. His three daughters attended Oakcrest School for Girls in Vienna, Virginia, an independent Roman Catholic school. Both schools are associated with Opus Dei. Hansen's wife Bonnie retired from teaching theology at Oakcrest in 2020. A priest at Oakcrest said that Hansen had regularly attended a 6.30 a.m. daily mass for more than a decade. Opus Dei member Father C. John McCloskey III said he also occasionally attended the daily noontime mass at the Catholic Information Center in downtown Washington. After going to prison, Hansen claimed he periodically admitted his espionage to priests in confession. He urged fellow Catholics in the Bureau to attend Mass more often and denounced the Russians as godless, even though he had been spying for them. Thank you all so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's strange tale. If you did please smash that gorgeous like button, and subscribe so that you will be notified to future shows. Also if you could write a 5 star review that would really help us get the word out, so other people can enjoy the podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Strange Tales Pod. Or you can message me at strangetalespod at gmail.com, with feedback or ideas on future shows. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so through Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash strangetalespod. Where we have plans from as little as 3 US dollars a month and you can opt out anytime. Any help is much appreciated. This is me your host Winston R. Douglas signing out for now. Thanks again hope to see you again soon.